Are you kidding me? If all care begins digitally in one spot, you just turn off your brain as a patient and you go, I'm sick, I'm injured, I'm scared, I'm anxious, or I have this issue, I'll go here. And they'll either solve it because it's solvable or they'll guide and direct me to where I need to go. Welcome to the Leaders of B2B podcast, a weekly show where we bring you interviews and in the weeds expertise with today's B2B experts and thought leaders. You can see more about today's episode and guest by visiting our website at leadersofb2b.com. This episode is brought to you by Content Allies. We help B2B companies launch revenue-generating podcasts. We schedule interviews between you and your ideal prospects and strategic partners. You show up for engaging conversations. We handle everything else. Ready to build a podcast that grows your business in just one hour per week? Reach out to us at contentallies.com. All right, guys, I got to give another shout out to a quick sponsor of the show, Chili Piper. Did you guys know that 60% of inbound leads don't convert to a meeting? And that you can double your inbound conversions by eliminating the waiting period between the form fill and the meeting? And so with Chili Piper, you can turn those leads into meetings instantly with intelligent rules that auto-qualify and route leads in real time. Also, you never let leads fall through the crack because they have a two-way sync with your CRM which this helps to also give you clean attribution on those leads at the end of the day. So with Chili Piper, you have no more leaky funnel. Instead, you've got more leads, more meetings, and more pipeline. Start turning leads into meetings today with Chili Piper. Visit chilipiper.com leaders to learn more. Hey, leaders, welcome back. Uh, this is Ledge, and we are here after recording after a Labor Day break. I've got Keith Algazine here. He's the founder and CEO of UCM Digital Health. Keith, say hello, introduce yourself, talk to us about you and uh, what you're up to. Well, thanks, Les. Thanks for having me. I am a physician assistant in emergency medicine at my core who decided to take that journey uh, and, and, and with, with my co-founding partners, build a new ER, an ER for the future, one that actually was was patient centered and stripped all the the bad stuff away. So at UCM Digital Health, we really are a digital front door for healthcare, but a pretty unique take on it uh, because digital front doors can mean a lot of different things to a lot of different people. But our unique take is that we took what you know previously had been the front door to healthcare, which is the ER. Some people call it the front door. Some people called it the safety net, and we took all the great stuff about the ER, stripped away all the bad stuff, and really have, have put that together to create a, a patient-centered digital front door. Uh, so that's what we do today, and we do it mission, uh, a mission to, to focus on patients. So talk about that. How, does that. how does that manifest in you know real operations then? So, I mean, we are, to, to fit your world, uh, we are a B2B sales company, right? But we actually are a B2B2C, like many uh, folks, right. and that our end users are patients. Um, so the way it works from a business standpoint is we partner with large populations who, you know, are either at risk or are, shall we say, aspiring to be at risk from a from a payment standpoint, at risk for the cost and the quality of care. So think classically your health insurance company, or think your employer, for example, or think a, a large hospital system that doesn't surely operate in a fee-for-service model, but also gets rewarded for, for quality and savings. And we basically take uh, that population, we 
work with the B2B partner, that insurance company, for example, and we say, we're going to give you our technology and our service, and because we are both, we're going to let you configure it. We're going to let you white label it and put your name to it. And then we are going to operate it in the way that you want to achieve your goals for, uh, for your patient population, which is usually, in our case, reducing cost, increasing access, and improving quality. Right. Okay. Yeah, sure. So where did this come from? I mean, you talked about being sort of on the ground in, in a PA role then. Uh, you, I, I'm guessing you saw a classic entrepreneurial case where you saw a lot of things that were wrong and you you wanted to do something different. And there's also a huge leap that happens in business from, you know, I want to do something different to like, hey, let's start a company and and do that. So I'd love to hear the story there, you know, from the epiphany of needing differentness to actually starting and scaling a company. Uh, no, you're you're dead on. You know, our story really begins in the year. Like I worked nights in the ER with my co-founding ER doc and actually my, my co-founding ER nurse. We worked nights in the ER. And it really was this combination of prideful, right? Because think about it. I mean, you probably heard this. Whether you're in healthcare or not, you've probably heard the ER is a bad place. Don't go there. It's expensive. It's not good, right? So we were living this and we were just, you know, sort of in a weird way, prideful and, and, and upset. Like, guys, you don't understand. Like, we're living this. Patients need this. Like, you can't just tell them not to go and think they're not going to go because you think it's too expensive. Um, so it was that sort of pridefulness combined with what I would say is a crazy consumer or marketing story that I don't hear people telling except me, which is, think about this concept. For the last two decades, people have spent billions and billions of dollars trying to keep people out of the ER, right? Everyone would agree with that, right? Billions of dollars being spent trying to keep people out of the ER. Yet our volume continued to soar as people were heavily marketing and spending dollars and doing everything they could to keep people out. That's a pretty powerful consumerism story that you've got something pretty special, right? Imagine Walmart went on a multi-decade, multi-billion dollar campaign to say, stop shopping here. Stop coming to my website. It's really bad. I think they would probably tank in their volume, but the ER was the opposite. So it was really powerful, sort of prideful, the care we delivered in the patient-centered approach that we delivered it and this amazing sort of entrepreneurial opportunity that the, the patients are speaking and they're saying, they're voting with their feet. So how do we basically strip away the part of the ER that, that, that people think you know, is the bad part, which is the cost and the brick and mortar? And, and, and how do we harness the people and the process and that amazing thing? Because think about this from an ER standpoint. There's nothing more amazing. There's no other place like it in healthcare, whether you're one day old, 100 years old, whether you have one medical problem or a million medical problems, whether it's day, whether it's night, whether you're rich, whether you're poor, whether you drove, you rode a bike, took a limo, took an ambulance. There's a team of people, a team, unlike any other thing in healthcare, a team that says, I got you. I got you right now. And I will take you with open arms and I will help you. And that is such a powerful emotion from a patient standpoint when you're sick or injured. I always give you the example. Like, how many times have you heard or from a family member or somebody else, you just sort of get this frustrating build of, should I do this? Should I do that? Oh, should I wait? Who should I? You know what? Forget it. I'm just going to the ear. I mean, how many times have you heard people sort of say that, right? Because you know, that's where I can turn my brain off. I know there's a team of people, no matter what, whether it's mine or me, they'll help me now. And that's what we've sort of taken and bottled up. But you also have that that terror of like, oh God, the bill is going to be yes. horrible. And it's going to divide it across 
50,000 different providers and I'm going to be dealing with this for the next three years as I try to unwind this with my insurance company. I mean, there's the other side of just like, yeah, I want that immediate gratification and, you know, care for me and I'll pay for it dearly for, for the next few years. So I'm guessing you fixed that part as well, because, you know, we, we all don't want to do that. Yeah, exactly. I mean, just think about it, right? The, 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 the ER is often sort of killing a gnat with a sledgehammer, right? <laughs> you know, right? So it's like, why would I use a sledgehammer to kill a gnat? That doesn't make any sense. But I need the sledgehammer because sometimes I've got a boulder, right? I mean, I just, if I'm having a heart attack, I need that sledgehammer. But if I'm having, you know, a little, you know, rib pain, uh, then I don't. But the problem is the patient doesn't know the difference, right? You don't know. You're a layperson. I got a little twitch in my chest. Is that a heart attack and I'm going to die? Do I need the sledgehammer? Or is it just a little tweak, you know, in my ribs? And all I need to do is, is have somebody tell me that and help me with that initial care. So we take that expertise and we say what patients really need is triage. That's really what they need. They don't know that. They don't use They don't think of it as that term. They just think I need care. But really what's happening in the ER is the highest level expertise of triage. And that is easy. I say easy, air quotes to digitize. Right? <laughs> uh, so that's why it can be so inexpensive. There's no brick and mortar. There's no hospital surrounding it. There's no infrastructure uh, that, that's expensive. There's just the technology and the human beings to actually provide that care in the moment. And then we'll give you to the sledgehammer if you need it. And we'll give you to the net if you need it. Right. So guessing then it's it's sort of like have a digital conversation or a video conversation, a telehealth type of arrangement to do that. Do I even need to go to the place where they might have imaging or blood tests or, you know, something of that nature? Is that, is that what we're talking about? Yeah. We take it one step further because we actually do provide a lot of the care because what you can provide, you know, digitally we do, but yes, the initial first step is I'm sick or injured. I'm scared or anxious. I'm not exactly sure what to do or when to do it. Because you might, you know, so think about it. Sometimes it's, I know what I need, but I don't know, do I need it this minute, in two days or two months? And then sometimes you don't even know what, right? I have a headache. I don't know if it's a brain tumor or a, a, a migraine. Yeah, right. Just didn't drink enough water didn't today. Drink enough yeah, water. Right. So yeah. the, the concept is we take you through our digital front door, which is a technology platform. We may just provide you information that's more valuable than Google because it's curated by, by a team of physicians and integrated into it, and you're done. I don't even need to talk to anyone. We may step you up, and you may need to have a video or phone or chat with somebody. We may go all the way as to order labs and x-rays for you, or we may recognize right away what this needs and then guide and direct you to your primary care doctor, to the ER if it's an emergency. To a specialist, if you if you need a specialist, so we we sort of use three words: we do triage, we do appropriate treatment, and then we do care coordination. And you wrap that all together, and that is sort of really the secret sauce of what happens in an ER, except we've digitized it, and that's what patients love so much. It's those three things: triage, treatment, and care coordination, all sort of wrapped up in, in that sort of bottle of of the digital front door. So this stuff didn't exist and you had an idea and then I don't know if some of you are technical founders or, you know, all medical. So you had to build a team, you had to source vendors, you know, somewhere from idea to inception. I'm always interested in that spot where it's like, sounds like two or three, you sat around a, a kitchen table, maybe you cracked a beer here and there and you had an idea 
And then it's like, well, how do we do this? And you had to figure out like how to initially fund it. And then who's going to build technology things? And well, how do we even get a client? You know, because that's always a fun part. So I'd love to hear those early stories. So talk through some of that. Yeah. So so the earlier story, as you say, it wasn't sitting around and cracked a beer, but it was 2 a.m. in the ER, us all talking and recognizing this problem. So that's sort of the, the idea, the impetus to say, well, from idea to I'm going to actually do something about it really came from that earlier story that I told you. Um, but when the you know, the healthcare system was failing to keep people away from the ER so much. And that's sort of where we were only smirking. We weren't ready to do an idea. <laughs> but when they started blaming the patient, that's what flipped the switch. When I say blame the patient, think about it. You is sort of the point that you made. Big co-pays, big, like you figure it out. Sorry, we think you went to the wrong place, you know, ledge, the ER. Now I'm going to, I'm going to make it really hard for you. Lots of expense, lots of confusion, lots of bills. And, you know, Lots of long waiting, waiting in the waiting room even. I mean, lots of things that really were punishing the patient. And that's what sort of was the aha moment to say, no, we're going to do something about it. Uh, so, so, so that's sort of that. But then, like you said, well, then, you know, how? <laughs> well, we, we are clinicians as founders first. So we sort of said to ourselves, okay, what can we do to put out a minimal viable product from a tech standpoint? Because we know, we know how to deliver the service, right? I know how to run a 24-7, 365 amazing service to provide this care. So we were definitely bootstrappers at heart. Part of that was, a large part of that was by, I would call it partially ignorance, honestly, because it's not like we were entrepreneurs before this, thinking that we could do it without raising funds. But partially we were a little biased because what we had thought we had seen out there was money getting in the way of ruining this doctor-patient relationship, sort of turning the business too much into a business before it actually solved a real meaningful healthcare problem, which often is what happens, right? Once money gets involved, I mean, the goal can sometimes change. And if it changes too early in the life cycle of, of a new idea and a new business, it can, you know, send it down the wrong path. So we bootstrapped it and we got our, our, our team together and we said, we're going to deliver the service. We're going to outsource a lot of our technology and we're just going to pull it into the service. And once we prove value, then we'll go build more technology which is sort of different from a lot of startups, right? They go build technology first <laughs> and, and then try to maybe you know, go from there. But we were very successful at it because the service was amazing, as, as I talked about, right? 24-7, 365, immediate access for triage treatment and care coordination for any problem in the world. Sounds pretty good. And it was. So we got one client at a time, our first employer, proved our data, showed it to another employer. They said, I want in too. Then another, then a, then a broker who sold it to 100 employers. And then we just started growing it organically till we had hundreds of employers. And then we could finally take this story to health plans. And that's where the sort of the, the, the venture capital side kicked in because we went to health plans and we were like, look at this, look what we've built. This is impressive. Look at the data. And they said, yeah, Keith, it is. It's impressive. But you got like, like $70,000 in the bank. <laughs> you know, we don't work with people like that. You've either got to be way bigger than this, you know. And at that point, I mean, we were still, we were millions of dollars in run rate, right? Uh, but you got to be way bigger than this or you got to get some venture or, or some money behind you because I can't hand you off to my multi-billion dollar company and my hundreds of thousands of, of potential patients when you don't even know it, kid, but you can run out of business in, in, in a month <laughs> with only $70,000. Right. Absolutely. That yeah. was sort of the, the aha moment that we were like, all right, we do have to raise money. This is way bigger than we thought. And let's go do it. So that was sort of our initial kick into you know, classic 
entrepreneurship where, where people think about raising money, but we did it the first. We, we really built a real company with real value with hundreds and hundreds of clients. And then we raised money to go scale it. How did you deliver the service initially without a, a technical product or like what, what was the initial sort of MVP delivery of, of the thing? Uh, like, did you cobble together some off the shelf stuff or like, I think a lot of people hang up on this. Like I got to build a platform first, yeah. but I'm just wondering how you did that. So, you know, you nailed it. We cobbled it together. I mean, cause I mean, I will tell you, we pridefully would say, cause, cause think about it, think about it as, 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 as medical providers, how many times over the years as ER providers had we taken care of our friends or our family phone, text, chat, you know, video, we did it all the time. So we literally said, we need a phone and a word document. And the only reason we need the word document is because you need to document what happened in for medical legal and for compliance issues. So I was like, we literally could start this company with cell phones and a word document. Um, we did go further than that, but it was, yes, we took vendors and said, what vendors do we need to provide secure phone and video? I mean, there's a million of them, right? What vendors do we need to provide a secure platform so we could document our medical records? And we just cobbled it together and, and provided the real value first. Then when we raised the money, then we started to, to build a real platform that we're proud of. Right, right. How much of, um, how much, a lot of, I do think there's a lot of opportunities now for people to plug together these backend systems. Somebody already solved the way that you have a HIPAA compliant recording or HIPAA compliant video or text or you know, any of these things. There's a million solutions there. I would imagine you kept some of that backbone, maybe switched around some vendors, found the best ones, and then you had to go about really essentially building the front door piece, the, the piece that kind of integrated that maybe into one client dashboard or, or something like that. And none of you were technologists then. So how did you source a partner or who did the actual technical work? Because that, that's a huge conversation to have when you first take that leap. And I, I have worked with a lot of people that have sourced uh, poorly for their, their partners. So I, I always love to jump into that. Like, where did that come from? Yeah. No, I mean, you, this is, this is, you know, I am sure you already know the answer to this, which is people, right? I had to go hire the people because we're not the, I, we are the experts in running this amazing virtual ER triage service, but we are not the experts in what you just described. So I had to go find people. So, you know, part of building that platform was first finding the right senior leaders that, that I could join our team. So that's number one. It's sort of obvious, right? So you get the right people in place who know how to do it, uh, just like we know how to run 24-7 virtual ER. And then, yeah, um, you did nail it. We are absolutely wise, right? So we're not sort of building things from scratch that don't need to be built. We're building a platform that we're going to take things that we believe are our secret sauce and turn them into technology to scale those. And we're going to take things that already exist and are commodities. We're going to integrate that into our platform. So I'll just give you some obvious examples everyone has heard of, right? Some of our foundational pieces of our platform are, you know, Amazon Web Services and Salesforce Health Cloud, right? They can be a large chunk of our infrastructure. And now we sort of either build or buy and integrate different things to piece together our platform. Right, right. How did you do that initial hiring for uh, those technical folks. Did, is this somebody that you knew in your network already, or you got referred to them? Or did you actually put out, you know, sort of like a, a job rec for CTO type of thing? Because that, that you're almost getting that like technical co-founder at that level. And, and that, that first technical hire is, is really hard 
uh, almost like your first sales hire. It was like, you know, you just have like this massive level of responsibility and trust that you're trying to to put on somebody and it can be dicey. So, I mean, what was the actual process to get those people? Well, it's fine. It's sort of classic um, bootstrapping entrepreneur story, right? It was definitely more networking with folks and then getting folks in the door, literally even part-time, right? I'll start you part-time um, because I can't afford you full-time. I'll give you, you know, more equity. And then I, and then that person sort of finds more people. And then we went out and raised our round. And now we had venture capitalists with a, with a larger network. And then we went out. And so we literally built it piece by piece, brick by brick to where it is today. It wasn't this aha moment where I just go find one guy and I hand it off to him. Um, that probably would have been easier, <laughs> but it was much more, again, that bootstrap of find somebody, let them start, let them see where the issues are and then find somebody else and then find somebody else. And then sort of eventually, you know, find that true, you know, CTO leader and then build out the team that way. So it happened a little bit, you know, reverse engineered the, the process from find the number one guy or girl and then go from there. Sure, sure. So you were a, a practitioner with a passion and wanted to solve a problem. What's been surprising for you becoming an entrepreneur? Because that, that profile is common, you know, and, and I think that happens across all kinds of, of industries where, where, you know, you're a specialist in a particular type of, of manufacturing or, you know, you see some type of problem and you really go from the practitioner side to now I'm going to now I'm going to be a founder. And I'm I'm interested to hear what matched your expectations and, and kind of what didn't and what you would advise people to do in that that situation. Yeah, I mean, I think I think that one of the things that, again, partially by accident, right? it's not like I, I perfectly plan this, but partially by accident, the the real concept of bootstrapping to a certain point, right? You don't have to do it as far as we took it, right? But but bootstrapping the business to a certain point was incredibly valuable for us because it really forced us. And again, I didn't even know this at the time. That's why I say a little bit by accident. But I've seen lots of mistakes out there now that I'm in this space. And, and you know, when I say this space, you know, not only health tech but the whole entrepreneurial venture capital space, right? I really see people trying to to do things before they've really proven, you know, including raising money, before you've really proven real value. So the bootstrap mentality, you know, is one that I talk about a lot because it made us prove real value, real paying customers who, and then real paying customers who came back to us and didn't leave. And then those customers would tell other customers and then we would, we would iterate constantly based on not what money was telling us, not what outsiders were telling us, but what our actual customers and our and our employees and our users were telling us and that sort of you know perpetuated i think to the point where we had something of real real value before we we raised capital so that was that would be one that i would say is uh uh i would say just a a a great word of advice that i can give everyone is man if you can bootstrap this thing for a little bit not only do you hang on to more of your company you learn so much more. You're, you're just forced to, right? I mean, it's just, you know, if I took away all your food tomorrow, you might learn how to hunt. But if you don't have to, you'll learn how to hunt, right? I mean, it's just an example. But so the, that that's one. And the other one that sort of surprised me is, is sort of goes back to your clinician. Yeah, I was a clinician. So I really wasn't surprised about all the things that are happening that are 
that are easy for us, which is the patient care side. Like we set up something that really does provide tremendous value to to the patients, which trickles up, I'll say it, you know, to the people who pay for care, right? That, that are B2B clients. But what surprised me is how complex healthcare is, not from a care standpoint, I knew that, but from a business. I mean, healthcare, I mean, this is not a normal marketplace. <laughs> I mean, it is like B2B, sometimes B2B to B2B to C. It is sometimes like two Bs that you wouldn't even make sense should be connected at the hip to get to the C. So there's just a very, very complex healthcare system from a financial standpoint, from a financial model standpoint, that makes it both incredibly challenging to solve problems, but then it gives people like like me tremendous opportunity, right? Because the problem is so complex. People say, well, yeah, can a couple of doctors just get together and do it? You, you did, Keith, pretty easily and set up a new virtual ER. And I'm like, uh, they can, but there's nothing easy about it. It's incredibly complex from legal to regulatory, to licensing, to credentialing, to, to, to the tech, to, to the B2B2C partnerships, to the, they can go do it, of course. And, and people are in my space, but boy, it's not easy. <laughs> so, so there's some advantage to the complexity of it, quite frankly. How much time did you guys spend researching, planning, and all those things before you quit the day job? Well, this is another real advantage for us. So as ER providers, I would say, I mean, our company is about six years old now. We didn't really quit our day job until we were three years in. I mean, we, we were, uh, we were, I can't remember the number, but we were, we were well over a million dollar run rate company before we, we, we quit. Because remember, one, we didn't raise money, so we couldn't do anything until we could pay ourselves a little bit. And we could work less and less and less, right? So uh, as an ER provider, I could work full-time 20 shifts a month, or I could work 10 shifts a month. So, I mean, we slowly back down out of the, the, the ER work. Plus, I can work nights and still work days. So I sort of, again, that, that sort of goes with the bootstrapping story. We didn't actually give up our day job for a few years into it. We just kind of slowly decreased our day job as our company got more and more successful uh, and, and we needed to be full time. <laughs> Right. So but as for a story for then other founders, I just I like to point that out that, you know, it, it's a slow ramp, you know, so three years to get to a million dollar run rate, which is like half of the life of the company before it did this sort of lift, you know, that that you were able to say, hey, we can at least support ourselves and a million dollar run rate with operating costs, et cetera, et cetera, supporting X number of people. You're still not talking about taking a lot of money off the table. You know, so this is not glamorous at the beginning. And I think people don't put their savings away, you know, nearly enough to to look at that. You know, this is not a story of like, oh, I just need three months of my expenses in the bank or six months. You know, we're talking about years of not paying yourself. And, and that's okay if you're prepared for it. And so many times that, that gets left off the story and you were probably exhausted. And some days you said, like, geez, what am I doing? You know, I work all night. I work all day. Uh, maybe you had hair even before this, you know, I, I know I did. So <laughs> <laughs> Exactly. Yeah, no, it's, yeah, no, it's, it, you nailed it. Like that's the grind of it. I mean, I do, I mean, I, listen, it's, it's a well-known saying, but like, you know, what, you know, who who does this like 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 what are you doing you know you know quitting your your, your 40 hour a week job to, to go work 80 <laughs> you know but yeah that's what you do <laughs> so um it, it is a grind um but but again it's it's an exciting grind and and that's where i think if you don't have the passion for the the real real vision and the mission of what you're doing and then you don't get 
others, both you know, original founders and new teammates, to have something more than just a paycheck behind you. Like you gotta have something driving you. Otherwise, man, it, it is hard because you're you're gonna give up. Uh, so so I, I always tell people, it's like I don't think I would have been a successful entrepreneur if I decided to have a, a garbage delivery service. I mean, because it's too hard. I wouldn't have had the passion for it. Right, right. So your passion wasn't self-employment. A lot of times I find people, you know, sort of make the jump because I don't want to work for somebody else. And and I was one of those people. And I think you could then, I did it the backwards way. You know, let's try 13 different things because I don't want to work for somebody. And finally, I found one, you know, that was good. But passion first for the objective and the customer. And then it sounds like you can sort of backfill that and learn how to do the other parts where, you know, I'm sure like the first day that it was like, you know, hey, I can't call IT for support or I can't, you know, do this. Or I can't do that. You know, like I, I have to do all the things, you know, I'm chief janitor, you know, kind of also. Right. You're dead on. Yeah. And again, I, I think your point is well taken, meaning your passion doesn't have to be even for the specific problem. Right. It just has you have to be passionate about it. So if you were just so passionate about not working for anyone, that's why you Otherwise, you would have given up after idea five. You wouldn't have got to idea 13 in success, right? So you, my point is you better really be driven by something because this is really hard. And and whether it's the specific problem like me or whether it's just a generic problem like you, you better be passionate about it. Now, you guys kind of ran into, uh, I don't want to say a tailwind, but uh, telehealth in, the, you know, in 2020 plus plus has become all of a sudden bump to the the front of the line there was that surprising were you prepared for the scale i mean all kinds of stuff must have happened uh relative to to covid and you know just wow oh man we need this right now and and a massive explosion of people trying to jump into the marketplace as well so like a competitive landscape shifted so you know what was that like yeah it was uh, you know that i i really do think this was a we will look back on on the on sort of this this COVID pandemic as a real real tipping point for healthcare, right? Because yeah, it's really a once in a lifetime uh, type of transformation that, that 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 sort of tipped or call it your tipping point, right? But but we were living it, so you're exactly right. So we knew the market was you know sort of in our direction anyway, right? Healthcare was way behind in sort of its digital transformation compared to a lot of other industries, so. We knew we knew it was coming, right? You know, timing is everything, and 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 we knew we were in the right time, generally speaking. But who could have predicted we would have got, like you said, the I mean, like tailwind is underplaying it, right? It's like a, we got a hurricane at our back now. So I think that you're right. There's good and bad, right? The good is, wow, like I never, I mean, for the first four years of our company, I was literally still convincing a bunch of people that this was safe, that this was going to work, that it was going to be big. I wasn't even, you know, I wasn't selling them even on us, half the people, right? At least, I mean, get, telehealth was, we weren't the first ones, believe me, way before us, but, but there's still a lot of people pretty skeptical and certainly skeptical about our model, which is all care can begin in one place, right? That's our ER model. It doesn't matter what's wrong with you. You can start with us and we'll always figure it out for you and get you the right care at the right place. So uh, after that tipping point, we, we are now, you know, much more having conversations about, you know, why your specific model or why your specific company versus the idea in general. And that's a big, you know, think about it. I mean, gosh, I mean, trying to convince somebody who's not even sure what you're describing makes sense is a lot harder than trying to convince somebody that 
our solution is the right way to solve the problem. There's some people who said, eh, you know, you're, you're over-exaggerating the problem. Like, we don't, not everyone needs this digital health. You know, it, it, it's a little niche. Nobody thinks that anymore. <laughs> Nobody thinks it's a little niche anymore. So there's a huge, huge, you know, hurricane at our back. And um, it's, it, it's fascinating times. Yeah. All right. Well, what's next then? You know, so put on, uh, like, this, this is my part, you know, put on the, the futurist hat and uh, knowing what you now know and looking forward, uh, what's, what's going to happen? What, what are the next trends with, uh, with your space? So with us specifically, I always sort of give the example. When I say all care can be in digitally in one spot, uh, I still do get some people, even though they clearly see the trend for digital health, going, well, okay, that, okay, dreamy entrepreneur. Not all care can begin in one space, and certainly not digitally. And then I say, well, uh, let me explain to you why. Uh, it, it can't the way you're thinking about it, because you're thinking about very specific solutions. But let me explain to you this. Where do our most life-threatening emergencies today begin? 911. That's a digital interaction. Thank God it begins that way. It doesn't end that way but it does begin that way. And because it begins that way, it's absolutely the best and no one would disagree. Now let me go all the way to the other extreme. Where does the, I don't even know if I need care or what I need, where does that begin? Google, some other digital search, right? So if our most life-threatening emergencies can do and should begin digitally, our most, again, I'm not even sure if I need care begins digitally. Don't you think everything in between can begin digitally? And if you had the right platform and service that could do both bookends, couldn't you start everything in one place? And that's when you start to get people to go, oh, ooh, oh you know, wow, you might be right. Like, and, and now, now here we go. If I'm right, how far are we away from that? Because then you get some people who go, well, we're like in the third or fourth inning of the digital health revolution, Keith, right? And then I give them that story. And how far away are we from all care can begin digitally in one spot? Dude, we're like, we haven't even sung the anthem. Like, you know what I mean? We're tailgating in a parking lot. Like, so, so I, I sort of give people this sort of concept of where we are today, whether you're on the, wherever you land on the spectrum of where you think we are, it's, we are so far from what could be that to me, in my space, the future looks like all care beginning in one spot digitally. And that is sort of what the safety net of this, that's what the ER is, right? Think about it. Can you, is there anything in the world you can't go to the ER for? Nope. You, all care can begin in that ER, right? It uh, doesn't mean it should, <laughs> but, it, but it can. And that's what we're trying to do. We're trying to really get the world to understand that all care, if it's the right platform and service, can begin in one spot. And think about that from a patient perspective. That just takes all the pressure of figuring out. I always give people like, like the, the real problem is if you're sick or injured tonight, right? You have to play doctor first. Because you actually do have to figure out not exactly what's wrong with you, but how severe is it, you know, or what should I do? That's actually a medical decision you have to make. Is my headache a brain tumor and I'm going to die or a stroke and I'm going to die? Or, or is it I didn't drink enough water, as you said? That's a medical decision. You know, we, we the ER providers, are the experts in that. Then you have to, after that, don't forget, then you got to play CFO. You got to go, well, look, you know, what's my copay? What's my deductible? How expensive will it be? And then after that, you got to pay like logistics expert because you got to figure out, well, okay, can it begin digitally or do I have to go to the doctor and do I have to make an appointment? Can I just drive now to the ER? Like, are you kidding me? If all care begins digitally in one spot, you just turn off your brain as a patient and you go, I'm sick, I'm injured, I'm scared, I'm anxious, or I have this issue, I'll go here. And they'll either solve it because it's solvable 
or they'll guide and direct me to where I need to go. That's an amazing patient experience. And that's what we got to get. Yeah. You're talking about advocacy really there. You know, that's what it reminds me of. Like I, I could have a personal consultant that just tells me what to do given a set of circumstances. And, uh, I don't really want to fill out 10,000 forms to even, you know, talk to somebody and wait for a call back in three and a half hours or, you know, sort of all those things. So yeah, I get it. I'm in sign me up. So. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, no, exactly. Yep. Exactly. Yeah. That's, that's fantastic. Great, great story. I mean, I, I love that. I want to extrapolate that to the listeners that, you know, that's this patient focus is really customer focus. And just like, what, it's really design thinking. So how, how should this look if we were to ignore constraints? And, and so often we get stuck into constraint thinking with business. Uh, and you do need that, you know, almost sort of three year passion run, you know, just to sort of like, hey, we, we can do this. And I imagine it took you a little while to like refine that that pitch of like, here's why we think this is the thing. And so the practice and the reps and, you know, if I asked you that three years, you know, before you got into the business or six years ago, you, you sort of be like, I don't know, I kind of have this idea. Right. And the just refining that passion statement as a as a CEO makes makes a hell of a lot of sense. So uh, love the story. You know, thank you so much for sharing and, and the insights. Uh, if Keith, if anybody wants to reach out, get in touch with you, talk about stuff. What's the best channels to do that? I am on, on, on LinkedIn fairly actively. So, you know, just look up Keith Algazine or UCM Digital Health. That's probably the easiest. And, and then once you get me, I'm one of those guys. I'm like texting, emailing. <laughs> I'm, I'm really easy. But but I find today the easiest channel, uh, especially in the B2B space, is LinkedIn. You, you look me up and find me. That's the best one. Absolutely. Love it. Thanks so much for uh, coming out and being on the show. Awesome. Thank you. Thank you for listening, and we hope you enjoyed this episode of the Leaders of B2B podcast. If you enjoyed the show, please give us a five-star rating. And as always, you can see more information about this episode and all the resources mentioned at leadersofb2b.com.